Good morning. You may be seated. Welcome to Life Church 360. You guys, so good to have you with us. It's so great to have you with us online. And I am so thankful this year, especially the last two years, that we've been able to have the online campus because there's still people who are not able to attend church. And I want to thank all of you online and in person. It's been a significant investment for us to buy the cameras, uh, invest in the manpower and all the kind of stuff to be able to have a church that meets online has just been vital to uh, reaching people and helping them continue their life-giving relationship with Jesus, which is why we exist. And so thank you, guys. It's been really an amazing year, and I think God's got something really great for us ahead this year, and we want to keep helping people build that life-giving relationship with Jesus. And when we say life, it goes with our name, and it's really these four purposes we try to do over and over and over. Jesus said that we would love him, love God with all of our heart, mind, body, and soul. In fact, it's the number one commandment in the Ten Commandments. And he said the second is like it, it's equal to it, and that's to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So we love God, we invest in others, and then we faithfully serve because Jesus came to serve, not to be served, and he is our example. And then we encourage people to know Jesus. So we don't want to go around telling people what's wrong with them. We want to tell them what's right with Jesus and how they can have Jesus in their life and have a rich and satisfying life in him. And that's our theme verse, John 10.10. 10. So everything we do revolves around this, and I want to talk a little bit about this second purpose because it's vital. Really, our relationship with God is going to grow the deepest as we're in relationship with others, that life change really happens not in rows but in circles. And so it's so important that you have relationships with other believers so that you would be able to discuss and understand what's going on in Scripture. And if you're not yet a Christ follower, we're so glad you can also join a life group because then you can, you can figure out more. You can ask questions and be around people and, and really get to know them. And we use the, the term invest in others because here's the thing. If I will invest in others when my life is going all right, there will be people there to invest in me when it's not going so well. And what's kind of amazing is life can just do this, right? So you might be doing great this month and next month not so hot, and you'll be so thankful you're in a group, people praying for you, people loving you and caring for you. But that takes an investment. It takes, like, there's a cost to it for you, and that means it's a little bit of your time. And so we have, as we have 12 different life groups, I have all these, like these, you can go out there and you can pick these up on the tables. All the tables have different life groups there. Uh, there is different times, different places, different stuff, uh, like the guide to the nonprofit's guide to the Bible. So if I go in, yeah, I'm definitely not a prophet. I don't even understand what the Bible's all about. This one is for you. Uh, men, there's a, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens others. There's a men's group. You want to get involved with other guys. Um, they meet for breakfast. There's a great group. Uh, they have different times in different places. Head, heart, and hips. You're just going to have to go check it out because, like, here's the deal. If you care about your head, your heart, and your hips, this is a group for you. Uh, <laughs> there's a group that's going to discuss the weekend messages during the second service. So they're going to hear the message, you know, and then they're going to discuss it. And so you can find out if I'm actually, like, telling the truth, if I'm accurate to Scripture. And uh, it's a great group. Brad Hudak leads that one. Uh, Parables of Jesus, the leader is totally, he's a yahoo. He's the lead pastor of this place. Um, but uh, we're going to meet on Tuesday nights during youth group, and so it's going to be fun. Uh, we have an on-life uh, an online life group, which is trading your if-only regrets for God's what-if possibility. So if you're online or maybe you're like, you know what, I can only do an online group, that group is for you. 
Financial Peace University. Anybody want some more money this year? Dave Ramsey teaches you how to do it. So this is an amazing thing, an amazing group. Uh, celebrate recovery, hurt, habits, and hangups. It's not just for people who need rehab or people who have family members who need rehab. It is for anybody with hurt, habits, and hangups. And we have people who have gone through that. It is just incredible. Uh, the Book of Mark is a great group to join. Whisper is uh, a study uh, um, for young adults. So if you're a young adult and you want to get involved with some other young adults, you can do this one. And then finally, How We Love. How We Love is a marriage curriculum. Uh, Tina and I have done this class where we did a life group just like what this would be. We've also done the How We Love seminar. We've read the book. We've taken the test thing. It, it, this is phenomenal on how to get your, your marriage and how you love, how you receive love, how you give love, and how that all works is really incredible. I lied. There's one more. If you have a cell phone or any kind of digital device, you can get the coolest app there is. It's absolutely free. It's called the Bible, and it's given out by Life Church. No joke. Life Church is not not us. This humongous Life Church, and they give it to the world for free. It is incredible. And one of the things that we have on this that we've started for our church is read the Bible in a year. It, we didn't start, they started it, but we, we, we're going to make it in our, our church. And so if you want to do, hey, I would like to read the Bible in a year, you can get on this group, and all you need to do is text or email uh, us and let us know, hey, I want that group. We'll send you an invitation to it. There's already 21 people doing it. The devotionals are phenomenal by Nikki Gumbel. Uh, I'm in the eighth day right now, days eight of the year, and so we're in it, and we're doing it. And so if you want to get involved with us, you can. Tina and I are doing that, and you'll actually be able to see comments or prayers of other people in the group, and that's why it's called an online group. So pretty cool stuff. We started a series last week called Now What? And the reason we're calling it Now What? is because we talked about the birth of Jesus all through December. Like, that's what Christmas is all about. And the birth of Jesus changes everything. And the rebirth of Jesus in you changes everything. So if you've given your life to Jesus, John 3, 3, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it this way, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. I got to tell you, I experienced that, and I've been experiencing it ever since, that Jesus literally changed everything about my family when I was a boy, and he's changed everything about my life since I surrendered my life to him. It's a new birth. It's a new creation in Christ Jesus, and the only way I can describe this idea of everything change is when I brought my first child home, right? There was this birth in our family, and we anticipated it for nine months. We were so excited about this little baby. We found out it was a girl, and we were so excited. And we go to the hospital, and we have the baby, and she had to be there a little a couple days longer, and they finally said, now take her home. And I was like, whoa, now what? <laughs> Now, Tina's a planner, and so she read several books before this. She was way further ahead than I was. I didn't even know how to change this thing's diaper, and the nurse had to show me how to do it. It's like, you change them different for a girl and a boy, by the way. And like, I didn't even know. And so here's the deal. I get home, like, I got to catch up. Now what? There's got to be more of being a Christian than I pray to prayer and I go to church. There's got to be more. Now what? Last week I talked about the pathway to peace. The, the Bible says that Jesus came to show us the pathway to peace. 
And, and that is a participatory journey. It's, it's not like a gift where you just go, hey, give me peace, and boom, you got it. It's something that you pursue. And so in these messages, I want to give you an idea of what I'm doing up here when I'm, when I'm trying to do this, is I'm, I'm trying to say, what do you do with Jesus? Everybody say, do. Do, don't say do-do, just do, okay? What do you do with Jesus? Because it's a participatory thing. And it's very true that the love of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, that is free. You cannot earn it. It's a gift. The blessings of Jesus, this rich and satisfying life that Jesus said he came to give us in John 10.10 is participatory. It's something that you pursue. So in these messages, it's kind of like this. Let's say that all of us decided, hey, this year, 2022, we are going to summit Mount Rainier. Now, Mount Rainier is 14,000, I think, 800 feet, okay? That's a pretty big journey. It's like we're down here at sea level, and we're going to go up to 14.8. And we go, you know what? We've never done this before, so we're going to go with, like, a guide. And so we're going to find this guide company. We decide we're going to go to an orientation meeting, and we're going to find out what you do to summit Mount Rainier. And when we get there, there's going to be pictures and like, cause like, it's like, wow, look what you could do. And, and they're going to say it's 14,800 feet. That's a pretty big deal. You actually start to feel altitude sickness at 10,000 feet. And uh, like, it's pretty critical. So like, here's some stuff you're going to have to do. They're going to say, okay, here's, you're going to have to, cause did you know that like, you're not just going to go hike Mount Rainier? Yeah, you're going to, like, it'd be like running a marathon. You don't just go run a marathon. It's so, like, you're going to have to figure out what kind of physical condition do I need to be in to be able to hike Mount Rainier, and, and what kind of training is that going to take? Because I got to, like, if this is what it's going to take to do it physically, I need to have a training schedule that's going to get me to that. Uh, it's a little different up there, the environment, right? Like, so, like, this, this outfit's not going to work up there, so you're going to need some gear, and you're going to actually have to spend the night up there uh, because you summit, you go out early in the morning because you don't want to be on the glacier in the mid-afternoon. And so you're going to learn all this stuff, and you're going to have to have a tent, and you're going to have to have something to cook with, and you're going to have to have it be light, and you're going to have to have a backpack, and you're going to have to have all this gear, and it's going to cost you money. There's even going to be a cost for the guide to lead you up there. There's going to be a whole process, right? What do you do if you're going to hike Mount Rainier? There's a cost. It's financial it's physical, it's mental, it's emotional, it's relational. You, you have a cost. Jesus said in Luke 14, to anybody who wants to follow him, look what he says. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying the person began to build and wasn't able to finish so if you've ever heard a sermon on count the cost, it comes from this passage, that Jesus says there is a cost to following him. And here's the deal, you guys, anybody can start something. I want to finish well. Amen. Like, you know what I mean? I want to finish well. I, I have a, it, around my house, it drives me crazy not to have stuff done. Today, I'm doing the backsplash around my kitchen counters on the, on the countertop because we just moved into the house and it's not done. And it just drives me nuts to not have something done. It's not about starting, it's about finishing, to finish well. And so counting the cost of following Jesus, one of the things we talk about this pathway to peace is there is a pathway that you can get on and it will actually feed your life and give you peace. Now here's what you need to know. Everything in life that is worthwhile that's rewarding, that like 
has something that is, it makes you feel satisfied, there is a cost. And actually, the greater like reward, the more worthwhile, the, 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 the more fulfilling, the greater the cost. You ever notice that? Who are your favorite professors in school? The ones that were the hardest. Why? They, you earned that thing, right? You really earned it. Like, it was worth it for you to do it. What it. Why is it so satisfying when you get around a couple that's been married for 60 years? They've paid a cost to get there. They have. And, and there's been really great things and there's been some really hard things. But like that kind of a love is, man, you gotta, I got to tell you, it's going to take something. And so we talked about the pathway to peace. Today I've entitled the message, Love Struggle War. Okay? Because we all would like more love, right? Wouldn't you agree? I'd love more love. That would be really awesome. But there's some things we struggle with with love. There's three primary things. And the first one I want to talk about is this. Love is not a feeling. It's a decision. Okay, now we live in a culture that screams, feel it. Love is a feel. In fact, we live in a culture that says love is so easy, you just fall into it. I mean, it's that easy. And when you don't love anymore, you fell out. Man, I fell in, I fell out. You know, some people like would go, well, you know, love is a little bit more, you know, you got to be a little bit more intentional. And so you got to look for it. You got to find it. And once you find it, then, you know, you know, when you don't feel it anymore, you you lost it. And whoops, I mean, wow, I was so lucky I found it and I don't know where it went. What happened to love? I just don't know where it went. A lot of people think that you earn it. Hey, I deserve better. I have been way better to you than you are to me, and so I deserve better. I've earned it. Even with God, people will say, I've been better than I have been bad. I've got more better ticks than I've got bad ticks, and so God, you owe me. Why would God do this to me? Anybody ever say that one? Right? So we've earned it. Our culture unanimously agrees love affects and, and goes into the deepest emotions you have. So it's very hard for us to think of love as anything but a feeling, but it's not. There are feelings that go with love, but real love is actually a decision. And what's really weird about our culture is we use the word love for everything. I love my car. Oh, I love my car. My car is so wonderful. And I love pizza. Isn't it crazy? Like, you love pizza when you haven't had pizza for two weeks, but then the day after you have pizza, you don't really love pizza anymore. Like, you know, it's like, you just say, you know, left, no, nah, it's just kind of soggy. I don't want to have it. I'll wait. Two more weeks, I'll want it again, right? I love my spouse. Oh, my wife is so, I love my kids. Could you imagine if you were learning the English language and people are like going, you love your boat and you love your kids. What, what was a boat again? Oh, yeah. How big is it? You really love, you, and you, your kids are your, the, the little ones around your house, right? You love them too? Okay, so help me. How do you feel the same way about your boat as you do your kids? Or your, like it would be very, very confusing. The Bible was written in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. The Greek language is really descriptive. They have nine words for love. So when they say love, you know what they're talking about. 
There's, here's, here, here they are, quickly. Number one, eros. Eros is sexual desire. Um, eros was a mischievous god of passion and fertility who was shooting arrows, those Valentine arrows, into the hearts of people and immortals and making them feel a sudden overwhelming desire for each other. Eros. That's why people will go, well, you can't help who you love. <laughs> yes, you can, okay? You can. Um, it's, it's just desire. Philea, soul connection. That's, philea is that, that spiritual connection. There's a trust. There's a sharing the same values. This would be like your close friend type of love. We have, we have, a, we have a shared unity in who we are. Storge is devoted love. Storge is the kind of love that, that a parent has for a child because children do nothing for you. <laughs> if, you're, if you're thinking you're going to have children and they're going to do something for you, Go babysit someone's kids, okay? They don't do anything for you, okay? So especially babies, they just eat and they sleep and they wake up and scream and they eat and they fill their diaper and you change it and that's the way it is. But you love them because you have storge. It is devoted love. Pragma, it sounds like pragmatic, right? That's what it is. It's a mature love. There's duty. There's reason. There's shared goals. It's very long-term, high reward because it's very, very long-term. Here's the deal. Pregnant love is your vows if you actually live them out. That would be pregnant. It, it's, this is what we do. Um, ludus, they would call a playful love, but it's not playful in the way you would like go, oh, that's a really healthy thing. Um, ludus is the express through flirting, teasing, seduction. It's casual sex. It would be that friends with benefits thing. That, that's ludus-type love. Um, mania sounds like maniac because it is. It's obsessive love. And obsessive love is uh, emotional. It's birthed out of emotional instability, jealousy, and possessiveness. It's a stalker. If anyone's ever had a possessive love person in their life, you know, like, yeah, it's thankful you're not there anymore, right? It's like maniac. It's crazy. Uh, Merakai love is creative endeavors. So like, like America I love would be like, you know, I'm going to sing you this song or I'm going to write a song. I'm going to write you a poem, uh, a letter. I'm going to cook you a special meal. I'm going to paint a painting for you. Like, you know, I'm going to go mow the yard for you. That's a, that would be that kind of America I love. I'm going to show you my love. Um, Felucia is self-love. It's not self-like infatuation. It's actually you love and care for yourself. Very important that you do that because we're supposed to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. If you don't love yourself well, you have a hard time loving other people well. And we'll talk more about that later. The ninth is agape. Agape is unconditional love. It's God's love, and it requires nothing in return. So Scripture says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus loves us so much that he gave his life on the cross, and he did it before you and I ever were even a being. And he did it knowing that we would be disobedient to him. The Bible would describe love. And by the way, in the, in the Bible, there's only four of the Greek words that are used. Agape, storge, philea, and eros. Those are the four loves that you see in Scripture. And Scripture says, this is the definition of love. It's in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. I'm just going to pause, and you're going to be patient with me. <laughs> I'm really like going, get on with it. I know what the rest is. Okay, now, love is patient 
and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Does that sound like something you can fall in and out of? Right? I mean, it's not. It's not something you just find it by accident or lose it by accident. In fact, it's the type of love that's impossible without an unwavering decision. I'm deciding this. It's a relentless fortitude. I'm going to keep doing this because that's what I do. It's an abiding commitment. I'm going to hold on and I'm not going to let go. It's not a feeling. It's a decision. The second thing we struggle with is this. Love is not a transactional commodity. Love is not a quid pro quo kind of deal. Like, we you know, hear people say, you just fill my love bank. You have bankrupted my love bank. Yeah. <laughs> now, here, I get the love bank thing, and, there, and, and there's good things about that. There's not bad things about it. There's bad and good. But here's the deal. When I say, you fill my love bank, or you say, well, you fill my love bank, why do we do that? We make a deposit so we can make a? Uh-huh. You owe me. You owe me. I've done all this for you, and what do you do for me? Uh, how many argue that one? We all do, right? I don't deserve this. I deserve better. Why? Because you feel like you're putting more into the love bank than you're taking out. We are a group of people who are raised in a very me-based culture. It's almost impossible for us not to think of love as transactional. It's something we do so that we can get. But biblical love is not based on quid pro quo. In fact, it's the opposite. The, the, the book of Hosea. Hosea is a prophet in the Old Testament. And God wants to give Hosea a very meaningful message. He wants to teach the Israelites something about them and how he relates to them and how they are towards him. So it's this relationship thing that's happening. And God asked Hosea to do something that none of us would do. We would say, no way. You're like, what did he ask him to do? Hosea 1, check this out. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman. Any hands out there? No, okay, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Deblame. He's the blame. And she conceived and bore him a son. Now, in case you were wondering, you might go, well, man, marriage back then must have been just a lot lower standard. Actually, it wasn't. It was a much higher standard. Guys wouldn't even marry a girl who had sex before she was married. That would be a promiscuous woman. They wouldn't do it. It was not something they'd sign up for. But God says to, to him, I want you to have a message to my people that you're going to feel and you're going to understand and you're going to convey it to them. And we all struggle with faithfulness to God. 
The first two chapters of Hosea describe the first three children and the names that God tells them to give them, and it's all about their unfaithfulness and God's discipline to them. The book of Hosea has 14 chapters. You're like going, oh, okay, 14 chapters. I got it. It's just like the movies. We show up, and there's this relationship. It's really great. And then they go through some really hard, rocky times. And about the middle of the movie, there's a little bit of a hope that's a glimmer of hope. And then we start to work our way out of the problem, and we leave, and we're happy, and we go have ice cream. Well, in chapter 7, it doesn't change. In chapter 8, it doesn't change. In chapter 9, it doesn't change. Chapter 10, it doesn't change. Chapter 11, it just looks worse. Chapter 11, verse 7, for my people are determined to desert me. They call me the most high, but they don't truly honor me. Oh, how can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Adma or demolish you like Zeboim? My heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. No, I will not unleash my fierce anger. I will not completely destroy Israel, for I am God and not a mere mortal. I am the Holy One living among you, and I will not come to destroy. For someday, someday, the people will follow me. I, the Lord, will roar like a lion. These people are determined. They're not going to be faithful to God. It's something that you and I would like, you just want to go, enough is enough, right? The only way you can understand this kind of love is if you have a child and they are very, 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 very wayward. That parent, no, that's not how I raised them. That's not who they are. They're better than that. They're actually really good inside, even though everything they do on the outside is not good. They're good people. I love them. I could never destroy them. I just want them. Now, you may have like some tough love that happens and consequence, and that's all appropriate and that kind of stuff, but there's still inside of you this, I don't want the worst for them. I want the best. That's what I want. God loves you and I, even though, do you know that you don't deposit anything in his love bank? Like, there's nothing I could give him that he needs. If anything, he's just honored that we love him, which is why he created us, for love, that he loves us, but he doesn't require it back. He already loves us. This planet, it's yours, just as much as it is mine. You and I have the same amount of time every day. It's 24 hours. You might go, I don't have any time. You have the same amount of time as I do. You have the same amount of time as the people next to you. You have the same amount of time as the richest person in the world. You have the same amount of time as the poorest person in the world. God loves us. He really, really loves us. You might go, well, I'm sure by the time the book ends, chapter 14, there's a miracle. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. For your sins have brought you down. Bring your confessions and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praises. They don't do it. They don't do it. They just keep on running away from him. Do you know where the book of Hosea is fulfilled? In Jesus. What does Scripture say Jesus is and the church is when it comes to marriage? It says Jesus is the groom 
and the church is the bride. Now, as a guy, I don't like being called a bride. <laughs> Sorry, I don't. It's a metaphor. And the metaphor is beautiful. That Jesus being the groom lays down his life to cover over and to take up and to forgive and erase the stains of the bride and presents her to the world and to the Father as blameless and spotless because of his sacrifice for us, even though we're unfaithful. Even in the New Testament, what does the Apostle Paul say in Romans chapter 7? I do what I don't want to do, and the things that I do want to do, I don't do. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this sin? Thanks be to Jesus. I want you to know that every one of us struggles with sin. Your pastor struggles with sin. We all do. So what Scripture teaches us is to quickly repent of our sin. Repentance literally means to turn and go away, but it begins with sorrow. I'm going the wrong way. God, please forgive me. This is not right. This is wrong. And God, will you please forgive me? I'm going to turn away from this, and I'm going to follow you. So Jesus, will you be the Lord of my life? It's the leader, the, the boss. And then we follow him. And if we stumble, we quickly repent, and we do the same thing. Now, here's the deal. We will overcome sin. The sins that I struggled with when I first started this gig, not quite the same as they are now. Like, you, you do get better at it, but you're never really perfect at it. And what God is saying is, I still love you. I still love you. I still care for you. This isn't transactional. Christians, you got to get away from performance Christianity. Because it goes both ways. I'm no good. I'm a scumbucket. I'm not going to be around God. I'm going to hide from him because I'm bad. And the devil wins because then you don't have a relationship with God. Or I'm really good and I can't believe anything bad happens to me or people I love. I am really good here. You owe me. The truth is he loves us unconditionally and has given us all every blessing in Christ Jesus. Love is a decision, and love is not transactional. Here's the third one, and it's the hardest. Grab a hold of your chair and don't leave, okay? Just grab a hold of the person next to you, don't let them leave. Here it is. We are expected to give this same love to everyone. To everyone. John 13, 34, it's a new command, Jesus says. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's loving people who irritate me. That's loving people who hate me. Jesus said to love your enemies. Like, like as a Christian, you don't get to hate anybody. Not and be a Christian. It's not allowed. Like, I mean, you know, we love everybody. It's a command. 
In fact, Jesus, they asked him what's the most important commandment, and he starts with the number one commandment. He replied in Matthew 22, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And the Pharisees are like going, yeah, that's the number one commandment. We love God. And he goes, then he just like shrinks him, like, like wah, 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 wah. it's the first and greatest commandment, but the second is equally important to that. It's equally important to that. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he just blows their brains like straight off of their shoulders. And he says, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love God and love others. Now, in a culture that just screams love is a feeling, in a culture that believes with all of our hearts that love is transactional, how do you know if you really love? There's a litmus test. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. most powerful letter I've ever received was from my wife. We were a young married couple. Gotten a big... You ever notice, like, when you have a bad day, your spouse seems to have a bad day? Or your kids are having a bad day? And you walk in, and what do you do? You're irritable. You're rude. You're proud. You're angry. And you got a whole list of everything they've ever done wrong ever since the day you met him. Why? Because we're maxed out. Now here's the deal. You're not just supposed to love your spouse this way. You're supposed to love everybody this way. You're supposed to love people in your church that you're not getting along with. You're supposed to love your neighbor keeping you up all night. You're supposed to love co-workers who cheated you out of the promotion. See how hard this is? It's not easy. It's, it's a decision. You have to decide it. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be patient. I'm not going to be jealous. I'm not going to brag. I'm not going to be proud. I'm not going to be rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no records of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Tina wrote me this letter. And she said... I want to say I'm sorry because I'm not loving you the way I should. I was impatient. And I was not kind when I said this. And I was rude when I said this. And I was already irritated. And I gave you a long list of things that you did wrong. I mean, I wept. I was like, wow. What a letter. You guys, this last two years... 
There's all kinds of terms out there now. You know what the new terms are right now? Decision fatigue. I can't believe our church is wearing masks. What the heck's going on with our church? Why are they wearing masks? You know that masks are really bad for you? I mean, you breathe in the same air and out the same air and you get to sick, you get bronchitis. That's why, you got, that's why we're sick. It's because we've got a mask on. I can't believe the church would even consider not, well, not wearing a mask. I mean, you know, masks do, they save everybody. That's why, that's why the flu isn't even around anymore because we're all wearing masks. I can't believe anybody would not wear a mask. So nobody in their right mind would not wear a mask. Well, you better get vaccinated. Everybody's got to get vaccinated. But that's the problem. It's not just getting vaccinated for yourself, getting vaccinated for everybody else. I can't believe, who the heck tells people they got to shoot something in their body that they don't want in their body? You don't even know what's in that stuff. You know what's in that stuff? I'll tell you what's in that stuff. On top of that, you have one of your kids who's on, like, they're in quarantine because their whole class is in quarantine, and the other one's still got to go to school. And the daycare calls, and they close because they've had a COVID breakout, and you got to leave work again. And your boss is like going, we kind of need you here. And you go home and you've had a crud day. Your kids had a crud day. Your spouse has had a crud day. You're all irritable. What do you want for dinner? I don't know, just food. Okay, how about Mexican? I don't want Mexican. I hate Mexican. I just asked you. You said you didn't care. Well, I don't care. Well, I just don't want Mexican. Well, okay, let's just have Italian. I don't want Italian either. We had Italian like three days ago. Have you ever just, have you ever just gone, I don't want to eat? <laughs> Seriously, like you just, it's called decision fatigue. Everybody's having a bad day. You ever done that one before? Like, like, like you're in line and like there's somebody going off on the teller, like, you know, the, the, the checkout person. You're like going, they're having a bad day. Everybody's having a bad day. And we're not kind. We're maxed out. I actually think that this year, because I've been praying, this has been the hardest two years of, of life I've ever had. Just ministry has sucked. Bad. No joke. Wanted to quit. Lots. I'm not quitting, by the way. God has called me to do this. And I've been asking him for vision. I've been asking him for what he wants us to do. And I believe now more than ever before, the church has the opportunity for more traction than it has ever had in history. You know how you get traction? Friction. No friction, no traction. We got lots of friction. <laughs> Tons of it. How can you gain some traction? Love. It's not something you feel. You'll feel the opposite, actually. Storge, I, or, you know, I, uh, I feel the opposite. I do not want to get up and change that kid's diaper. You change it. I don't want to wash her sheets for the fourth time tonight that she's puked all over. Why can't the kid puke in the bucket that I left her? Why do you do it? Because you decided to love that kid. That's why. 
What if we decided to love the people in our church? The ones that wear masks, a bunch of sissies. The ones who don't, foolish, reckless idiots. The ones who are vaccinated, oh, God bless their soul, they're just doing it for the community. The ones who don't, reckless, infecting everybody. The ones who vote left, the ones who vote right. The ones who wear tennis shoes, the ones who wear flip-flops. I mean, I don't ride a Harley, crotch rocket, drive a Ford, drive a Chevy. What if we loved each other? What if we invested each other? What if we loved our neighbors? Do you know what Jesus said that the world will know your disciple, you're my disciples by what? Your love for one another. I want to stop and I want to pray that God would help us to love well. To teach us how to love. Because I believe that 2022 can be the greatest traction year of the church ever and it will give us a rich and satisfying life. It's really worth it. Jesus, we love you. And I pray that you would teach us to love this year. And as I pray that, I know it's gonna be hard. It'd be just like training to hike Mount Rainier. If we're actually gonna do that, it's gonna be some really hard days of training so that we can have the physical stamina and condition to actually fulfill the journey. And I pray, God, that you would give us the, the condition, mentally, emotionally, physically, all of it that would help us to love well. Teach us, Lord. We submit to you. We give it all to you. We need you, Jesus, more than ever before. Help us, God, to be people of love, to feel your love, experience your love, and give it away, that we would live a rich and satisfying life, and I believe it begins a lot with love. We need you in Jesus' name.